Hey, fella. What's happening? Oh. <laughs> Hello. Have you ever used a safety razor before? <laughs> I haven't. You laugh. But it's the only way I can get a close shave. <laughs> For you see, my thick and almost nappy curly hair, when cut with a 17-blade Bic razor, <laughs> gives me hair bumps. But the safety razor prevents this. I recommend it. <laughs> of course. i got nothing else to say. You were born in the dark. I was born in the dark. You merely adopted it. <laughs> I hope everybody else got a laugh out of that one. That was good. That caught me on. That was that was way good. Uh-huh. Yeah. Welcome back to season four. As a reminder, it's all about shared American ideals. And as we all know, there are many shades in today's America. That's right. C to shining C, left to right, middle, up and down, belts, alleys. We got it all in this country. You know what I'm saying? So look, here's the deal. A lot of times when we're talking about these things, we get into like the legal matters and the divisiveness and and they hate this and love that, but we forget about the compassion. And Keith and I, we're your compassion guides. We're here to anchor you in compassionate conversation. We're here to make sure that you are tethered to that space of compassion. Mm, I love that. And you know what? Compassion couldn't be more apparent than Marley and Casey from Project Divided, who we're with today. They, they're, they're two young ambitious individuals who are trying to help break down the polarization in today's country. They created this amazing project called Project Divided. So we talk a lot about that. We talk about what they observed doing this project. I'll leave it for the episode to define what that project actually is. But some of the other things, like we talk about facts, we talk about conversation versus debate, talk about a lot of things. So um, definitely excited to bring this one to you. Casey and Marley are amazing, and if you don't know where to find them, you can find them on social. You can find them on Facebook. They have all of their videos on Facebook, so you should definitely check them out. Project Divided, that is correct. And also, before we go, I just want to remind you, go to moreincommonpod.com to check out all things More Common. You can find our socials there. You can find our episodes. You can find our consulting. You can find our merch, all of it, moreincommonpod.com. And while you're at it, listening to us right now on probably your favorite podcast app you could you know give us a little rating maybe maybe look at those five stars and click the fifth one or you could hit the comments and leave a little comment like keith and rodney in my ears in the morning makes my day better now you don't have to write it like that i'm not trying to write it for you i'm just giving you a suggestion and i really appreciate you now let's get into the episode Well, we, we also want to win, right? Like that's when we go into a conversation, we're also like, I want to win this conversation. Like either I want to prove them wrong or like I want them to be on my side at the end of it. And so like this work also isn't 
like you don't get that reward at the end because then people are like hey i had a conversation like so what like what does that mean how is that actionable and like there there are real concerns and real questions with that too but it's like how do you balance having a conversation in order to understand someone and create that space versus having a conversation because you're an activist who wants to advocate for a specific issue. All right, welcome back to More in Common. Today we are with Casey Moore and Marley Tukovne, who created the amazing organization Project Divided. Casey is from Delaware and Marley from Pennsylvania. Both grew up exposed to politics and each developed a passion for getting involved and doing something about the division in our binary political system that our binary political system creates. Thus, after graduating from the University of Delaware, they decided to take part in the action to begin building bridges across the political divide. Hence, the start of Project Divided. So they drove from the Northeast to begin their journey in a small town of Smith smithville texas project divided is an initiative working to understand political division and facilitate conversations between problem solvers in our communities project divided is all about understanding how we can work together to problem solve from the local level up they believe the best way to start this is to bring lots of different perspectives and backgrounds together to first start the conversation and foster communication and understanding so this is our season of American Shared Ideals. We're going to talk a lot about politics this season, and we couldn't be more excited to have this conversation with Marley and Casey based on that experience. What they built is exactly what we hope to represent with this season of conversations. Welcome to the show. Welcome, Thank welcome. You so much. All right. So how you doing today? Doing all right? Great. Wow. Feeling, feeling, feeling good? Yeah, feeling we're good? so excited. Good. Okay, Absolutely. so <clears throat> to start, good. Marley, now you both probably believe this, but Marley, you said this in our prep call uh, earlier in the week, that one of your biggest surprises that you have observed in this project, Project Divided, is that there are a lot of shared values regardless of the background. And I'm curious to dig into some of the shared values that you have observed in talking to a lot of people, because what you guys did was pretty amazing. Thank you so much. Um, me and Casey have kind of talked a lot about the different things that we've been surprised by, um, because there are plenty. And I think that one of the things we always state is that there are differences between us, and um, those differences can be very real, and you know we shouldn't gloss over them. Um, sometimes those need discussion, but. I think at the same time, um, and this is kind of borrowing actually a lot from things Casey says, but what most Americans want um, are things that really aren't too crazy. They want security and opportunity for their families. Um, they want to be able to see better for the next generation. Um, they want to be in good health. We're seeing that as a huge priority right now, clearly, um, because of what we're going through with COVID. But these things are, are really not that crazy and um, are things that we should be able to expect and hope for um, from our government. And I think that definitely um, sometimes we kind of get distracted or um, the, the thing we don't talk enough about the things that, you know, we can all, all agree on or all find common ground on. Um, so I think it's definitely a mix of, of recognizing that 
there are so many things that we will agree on, but also recognizing that there are real differences um, and that those differences can can be large. Uh, I'll tie that to something, Casey, you said uh, in our preamble to this conversation, you talked about starting conversations by understanding your values and like where you're mm-hmm. coming from, but then then taking that and trying to understand the other other person's values and like where they are um like how for you casey like how how is it that you came to that as a as a as a strategy for having different conversations yeah um thank you for that question but uh marley and i did a lot of kind of research before we hit the road and and got to texas and a lot of that was looking at moral foundations theory and looking at um, how people's different morals are formed, whether that's in terms of um, justice-oriented versus loyalty-oriented and kind of like looking at what influences um, how our values and morals are formed. Um, So we definitely looked a lot into the academic research, but then once we actually got on the ground, I think it was something that when we talked about, people really resonated with. Um, and we saw it um, played out in conversations throughout our experience. Um, I remember we did one interview between two best friends. And if you had met them, you wouldn't have expected them to be friends at all. They were um, they were just very different. Um, they were different genders. They were different races. Um, they grew up with very different experiences. And we asked them that question, like, do you think that Um, most Americans have some sort of uh, similar moral base or the same values. And they talked about how they think that at the core level, a lot of Americans think they do. And it's just kind of how um, we go about addressing those different values. Um, So I think that that was definitely an interesting conversation that we had. I don't know if I answered your question at all. um, (laughs) Like all the things that you listed Marley, you can see the tree of disagreement, right? Like this, the, there's so many functions of, okay, we can disagree on how, right? And sometimes disagreeing on how means like th- there's an ego that gets in the way, right? Like I know how to address it. You know how to address it. And, you know, if you end up, and then we get into, I told you so's and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, those shared values are, are core to, to, a lot of things i'm curious to in all of the conversations and for our audience you did events where you brought a bunch of people together to talk about local issues you did individual interviews um, you did a lot of just canvassing and talking to people in their living rooms before they even knew who you were because you were a bunch of outsiders from the northeast going to a small town in texas um where did you see that breakdown like you saw the shared values, but at what point did you see it actually break down? I'm curious to get the practical sense from from the two of you. That's an amazing question. Um, <laughs> I think that definitely, first of all, there's a huge difference between the conversations that happen in the living room um, when nothing's being recorded versus um, us going through the process of asking people to sit down and talk on camera. Um, you're going to see people just, um, I don't know, everyone wants to represent themselves well, and it's a little bit more pressure to be on video. Um, so I think that getting that very like, um, 
intimate, personal aspect of it in someone's living room um, and at organizations and different different things like that was really helpful. Um, I think that what we've seen a lot is that when it comes to the local level, there's a lot more like immediate need for functionality in government. Um, you need your trash to be picked up. Um, you need different amenities in your town. Um, there's less room to kind of get into ideological battles about like why we need these these things. Um, and so I think that at the local level, you see a lot more working together and a lot more um, like just overall functionality. I think that where it starts to kind of break down is when we start having these more like ideological um, conversations about, about like our society or about culture. Um, and I think just because it breaks down doesn't mean we shouldn't be having them. Um, I think that <laughs> the reason it breaks down is because these things are really difficult to talk about. Um, they're so intertwined with how we grew up, our own personal experiences, whether we have any concept of someone else's experience. Um, so definitely it kind of turns a little bit more contentious once it gets away from the local level. Um, so I think kind of in our work, what we say is like, we want to bring problem solvers to the table and have conversations where we can find solutions and we can take action in our own lives. Um, and that would probably be the more functional local level side of it. But at the same time, um, we never want to ignore these issues that would be doing a disservice. And so I think that sometimes you do need to delve into conversations that might be more difficult or perhaps a little bit less, um, less functional. I'm curious, sometimes. Casey, if you have any other thoughts on that, or do you agree? Yeah, I think... I mean, one part when Marley was mentioning how a lot of the productive conversations were centered on the local level. I remember one interview we did and for about 20 minutes, the, it was an interview between two women and they talked about roads and like that was the one thing that they could really both identify with and, and agree. And it was just me and Marley were sitting there like, I mean, this is great. It's not you know, necessarily the most exciting thing that you could talk about for 30 minutes, but it's important and it has a lot of consequences necessarily. Um, so I think, and that was one of the difficulties that we faced with our web series, because there's this question of, you know, part of the problem of this polarization is that the things that are exciting, the things that we want to watch are often contentious and you have like two people just like going at each other, you know, it's not productive. And so one of the challenges that we had was we want to show people having real conversations. We don't want to gloss over anything like Marley said, but sometimes it's just not as interesting to watch Rose. two people talk about <laughs> road construction. Infrastructure is not <laughs> but, sexy, but it I is think so it's necessary. a great, great yeah. representation of, like the the conceptual nature of this whole thing in that like you talk about the ideology breaking things down is we get stuck in this loop of conceptual thinking that doesn't actually necessarily affect us on a day-to-day -day basis so when we talk about things on a day-to-day -day basis that affect us affect us we find an opportunity to get more 
productive in those conversations and we judge less, we criticize less and we act more. But for some, you know, once we get into these conceptual things, it's like, no, you're bad because you don't think like me. Yeah, but it's not affecting anything. So like why we're not politicians. Like, I mean, it may affect how you vote, but at the end of the day, like we can still have a, a theoretical conversation about it. Um, quickly, just to jump on what you just said, um, I think that one of the reasons or one of the things that gets in our way of having um, conversations that are a little less attached to ego is the fact that like, I feel like individuals now feel the need to like make statements about how they feel on certain things, like almost like, my releases, like you'll there. see on Facebook. Right. Um, yeah, this is what I feel about X policy. Um, Twitter, it's like we're all our own like representatives or our own journalists. And I think that there's a lot of great aspect to that. People are engaged. Um, people are sharing information. But I think that we kind of sometimes need to humble ourselves. I know that I have, where it's like, I am not, I'm not an elected official. Like I am an individual. I only have this percentage of information that is out there. Um, I don't have all the answers. Um, I, my brain works in a way where like, I'm a human and I have faults and um, am not going to see certain things. And so I think that we need to realize that we can be smart and informed, but also right. not, not yeah. know everything. It's amazing how much information is, is out there that we can't know all about. Absolutely. When you started talking, I had one thing I was going to go to. And then when you ended, I was like, oh, there's another. I don't know where to go. So many directions. Um, so many directions. But I, I'll start with this one. Facts. Um, you started, Marley, you started talking about facts in the preamble as well. And just what is a fact? And the subjective and objective nature of how facts are viewed. And I'd be curious to dive into that with both of you a little bit. Like what? What's your, what's your thought on facts these days? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and something that we've had so many conversations about because yeah. like Marley's mentioned, a lot of our work um, is just focused on, you know, community members, people who aren't necessarily elected officials or political pundits or anything like that. So when we're recording these conversations, especially that was like a huge question that Marley and I asked each other was if someone says something that is just false, is just not true. How do we go about that? Like we don't want to be spreading misinformation, but at the same time, we don't want to be taking away um, from what someone said or misconstruing what they said. So I think it's a huge question of how to go about that. And I think the way that we were kind of looking at it was that we weren't um, necessarily advocating for a position on these issues that we were talking about, but really trying to get to the heart of understanding where the other person was coming from and why they thought the way they think versus, um, you know, we're not a news Can organization. You guys <laughs> take over our podcast and just since that's what we're doing, do you guys want to host the podcast from here out? I mean, you to have it down. Yeah. More in common with Rodney Keith, Casey, and Marley. <laughs> well, and, and even even this season, you know, Keith said it's politics, but it's not really politics because we're not really we're not talking heads. Like we don't want to get it. Like we'll talk about the issues, um, and we will absolutely, but we want to understand like what are the what are the baseline ideals like what what makes an american an american whether you're left right independent green party like whatever it is what are some of the underlying and and commonalities that we all have 
uh, versus just the contentious. Think about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to how you two think about it. And then I have another thought, but yeah. Go ahead, Marley. Yeah, I think, I mean, the thing that I kind of thought about in this conversation is like, it's kind of a little bit separate from like perhaps the social media or media aspect of, of sharing this information. But I think we also, like, if you just think about how the human brain interprets events, like memory is very like fallible and yeah. um yeah and our our perceptions like we can just <laughs> my memory is perfect yeah, yeah. <laughs> memory. that's why cops don't yeah. use eyewitnesses like eyewitnesses yeah. are like the worst yeah. thing the in the world witnesses. yeah um so i kind of just like there's this one really good book um it's it's um called the things they carried by tim o'brien and it's a collection of stories um from the perspectives of different mm. Vietnam War soldiers. And it's amazing because it plays with the idea of truth and what is truth. Um, and there's this one part, I don't, I don't know how much I actually subscribe to this idea, but there's one character who talks about um, sometimes a lie can be more truthful than the actual truth. And he's, he's mm. talking more about like what it meant to him, what he felt. Um, I'm that, sorry, can you say that one more time? That sometimes I this is not verbatim, but that sometimes a lie can be more truthful. Quoted than, like the actual events that occurred. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it in. It's canon. It's Marley, canon. Yeah. Marley misquoted <laughs> a source. You are yeah. being called into question for everything but, you uh, say. Fake news. <laughs> Canceled. Yeah. Um, but I I think that it's a <laughs> I think it's a really interesting book. Um, I don't know. I don't, I pray that that is not something that would be replicated in our, our news or how we interpret politics. But when we're talking about personal experiences, I think it's a, it's an interesting book to read because it just highlights like how different mm -hmm. we all see the same event. And no, there are three sides to every it. story, yours, mine, and the truth. Um, <laughs> and the truth. Uh, Casey, did you have anything you, yeah. you, you posed the original question, but how do you think about it? Yeah. I mean, something that I think, everybody has kind of picked up on a little bit is like it's it's that emotional appeal that like gut reaction of seeing something and being like so like I'm so guilty of that seeing something on Facebook and being so angry by it that you just want to share it so people can share that anger and so you can have that reinforced feeling and I know me and Marley talk about that all the time like it doesn't feel good to have these conversations with people who disagree with you necessarily because you're not getting that um, that reinforcement of your ideas. Um, and then I also think like a big part of it is that not only is it this emotional appeal, but it's also an emotional appeal to villainize or to create this like us versus them dichotomy where it's very harmful, not only for conversations, but a lot of the time to solve the problems that we're concerned about in the first place. Mm. To to quickly jump on that, because that pings so many different things. Um, I think that a lot of what we're trying to avoid is discomfort as human beings. Um, we we're built for that. Yeah, we've created a, like an economy in the United States that's surrounded. It's built for comfort, um, for convenience. And I think that we want, it's like innate. We want to avoid negative feelings. We want to avoid embarrassment. Like when you say something, someone disagrees with you, you feel embarrassed. Like that's an awful feeling. We want to avoid like feeling like a bad person, even if we disagree with the person. Um, and I think that that's why we avoid these really difficult conversations because of those like very visceral emotions that we feel. 
And then on the other hand, it's like you get a rush, um, you get like feel good hormones. And when someone says agrees with you and bolsters your opinion. So I do think that it's hard when you're, you're kind of fighting against like, um, in a way, evolutionarily, evolutionary responses to stimulus. Um, But I think it's just good to keep that in mind. Like, when you're feeling awful um, <laughs> during a disagreement, like there's also a, a very physical it's aspect a funny, of that that's occurring. I mean, you read in Behave, it's like our brain mm-hmm. is built to keep us safe, like emotionally, physically. Like we we do not, and we seek, seek out, out stemming naturally. Like you will never don't. believe when you finish that book. One of the <laughs> yeah, one of the <laughs> things that um I thought of like as everybody was answering. Like, this is why propaganda works so well. Mm-hmm. Like, all the things we're talking about. And it has always worked really well. And then the new challenge is that we 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 haven't updated thinking culturally. And I'm going to say we as Americans um, haven't updated our thinking to understand, like, what is propaganda and how does it move? And then enter social media and being able to get things at light speed. Like, propaganda has always worked. But like now being able to get 100 messages in a minute, uh, propaganda works on a whole new level Enter Russia and Facebook and God knows who else and what else is doing what. And it's, it's just a yeah, just a, I think that that, uh, that comment yeah. about discomfort is is it's one of the most fascinating components of of discourse, ego and discomfort. We want to protect our ego and avoid that that lack of of emotional pain and and as a result we don't practice it's like going to the gym the pain you know only is so far as you push yourself but it does level out over time like you know you practice these things get involved god it's a horribly vicious cycle because we want to protect our ego yeah ego wants to be heard and then we want to avoid so all of a sudden you get that that echo chamber because you're being heard your ego is protected but at the same time, there, there, there's just there's nothing else in between, and uh, that's one of the things I think when I when I hear something that like confirms something that I know to be true, like especially yeah. like in that tweet, I was like, man, that, it, that's it, like, it, it just felt yeah. too good yeah. to be true. I was yeah. like, all right, I'm I got it, I have to check this. Like, so, well, we we also want to win, right? Like that's when we go into a conversation, we're also like, I want to win this conversation. Like okay. either I want to prove them wrong or like, I want them to be on my side at the end of it. And so like this work also isn't like, you don't mm-hmm. get that reward at the end because then people are like, okay, I had a conversation. Yeah. Like, so what, like, what does that mean? How is that actionable? And like, there, there are real concerns and real questions with that too. But it's like, how do you balance having a conversation in order to understand someone and create that space versus having a conversation because you're an activist who wants to advocate it's for a specific how issue. Debate has become our natural state of conversation versus a uh, conversation. Like the very nature of getting to know somebody, like getting to know the two of you and your background and taking a pivot because we always like to get to know our guests and understand like what's the root of your relationship and how how did the two of you meet? And I want to go back to to something, um, Casey. I believe you said it before. The differences between us. Um, when we, oh no, Marley, you were talking about this when we were talking about shared values. There seemed to be, and I might be inferring this a little too far, a direct 
attribution to the two of you. So I am curious to, to understand, like, what is your relationship? How did it come about and how do the two of you sure? Yeah, we'll start there because I won't keep going because I have a lot of other comments. <laughs> yeah. Our interdependence. I know all about, I know all about codependency well, in a business relationship. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Casey and I, Casey and I met um, our junior year at the University of Delaware. Um, we actually were roommates um, because we did an internship program in DC and um, Casey was unfortunately for her um she was my roommate i asked her but she asked me i was like they're a bunch of they're a bunch of i don't know these other people but (laughs) i'm gonna go i'm gonna put my marbles with marley (laughs) (laughs) but yeah um i think that casey and i kind of like just as we were living together um had a lot of conversations like this where I mean, I'm constantly puzzled by things that happen in our worlds and want to talk about that. Um, and I know that Casey also is just like a great com- com- person to have a conversation with. Um, so I feel like we just spent a lot of time like talking about things, talking about politics. Um, I think we tend to both be like kind of action oriented people where like we want to get things done. Um, and so a lot of our conversation was about like, this is what we would like to see happen on this issue, but like, what is preventing from, what is preventing that action? Um, And I think that's kind of, that was like the impetus for this conversation to start between us. Casey, do you have a shared, shared experience of your relationship early in the days? Like that kind of brought you here? Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about Rodney and I, like the perspective on the start of our friendship, just like looking through the lens of each other. So I'm curious to get, this is, I don't know if this is going to answer your question, but I was actually thinking about this recently because, you know, our relationship started out just as friends and as best friends. And I remember leaving D.C. Um, because it was the spring semester. So we had all of summer. We were going back to Pennsylvania and Delaware. And then we were going to go back to University of Delaware. And I was just like, I hope that we stay friends. Like, <laughs> she's awesome. Like, I, you know, and going from a friendship to a business relationship was definitely interesting. I mean, we lived together, we worked together. Like we were the only people each other knew in this small town in Texas. So it was like, I don't think, I know I couldn't have done it with anyone else. Like, absolutely not. (laughs) But it is, you know, it is interesting. And like, even we disagree on a lot of things when it comes to politics, we don't necessarily have the same exact views. So, I mean, I, Obviously, I feel very lucky that I met Marley and that Same. he's still here with me today. <laughs> um, but kind of touching on, on what Casey said, um, yeah, we I've been very lucky that Casey has been um, my business partner in this. For the first, um, I think, four, four, four months, we lived in a very, very small converted shed um, with like a bed and a hot plate and running water. It was like um, a tiny house kind of. The yeah, hot plate shocked you when you tried yeah. to use it. We don't need to delve into that. That was dangerous. Gnarly <laughs> um, electrocuted herself. But yeah, yeah. So we were like kind a of experiment, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so we we definitely were like working two jobs together. We were doing project divided stuff. We were working on the weekends with that too, and then we were working nights um at like a restaurant bar in town. And then we were also our only two like 
people who we knew um, in the beginning. We we ended up growing more friendships that we're very lucky for. But um, no, me and Casey lived and breathed Project yeah, Divider for like sure. seven months. <laughs> so how do you how do you two have disagreements? Mm. Or and and has that evolved? Um, I think that some of the things I don't think that Casey and I, in my perspective ever truly disagree on like the actual thing like I agree with Casey on on most if she were to like suggest a policy like Mm. I would agree with I would agree with her most likely Mm -hmm. I think the difference is like and this is something I've really been examining within myself I like um I just tend to kind of want some level of stability like big change really really scares me I understand the need for it um but I definitely tend to want stability more. And I think that that just comes from like how I grew up. Like my grandmother grew up in intense trauma, like surviving the Holocaust. And then she lived with me and my mom was steeped in that. And um, I, I've really like spent a lot of time thinking about like why I crave that stability. Um, but I think that's just something for me to be aware of. It doesn't mean like it's wrong, but I kind of have to keep it in check sometimes. It's like, why am I, why am I scared by that change? Um, and I, I think that we all, it kind of takes a little bit of self-reflection, but I, I think we all need to do the, that to a um, certain extent. You talked about your grandma. Sorry, Casey, but like, this, we got to ask Marley. Oh, no. Um, go, what go for it. influence has her experience but we've talked a lot about this is generational trauma this the passed on traumatic events especially of holocaust survivors and the impact that has on their children and it can take many generations to to work what type of impact did that have on you yeah i think that especially like having her in my home um, for my my entire childhood. Like she was my favorite, favorite person in this, in this world. Um, I I think this is something I've actually really only started kind of like unpacking in the past, I think like maybe two years, but um, I think I've just realized like how much safety and like fear um, it's kind of like mm-hmm. very much ingrained in me. Um, and I think that's why I crave stability because, um, like a good example is, um, so when my grandmother, um, was, was liberated, um, after the war, she was part of this group of, of children that was sent to England, um, in this like little countryside area. And she stayed really close with, um, a lot of those people. And my mom grew up, um, surrounded by Holocaust survivors in, in Boston. It was like, they had lost their family. So that, that was their family. Um, and one of the survivors who we were really close with, she was, she was dying and, um, her daughter was with her and she stood up to go use the bathroom. And as she stood up, the mom was like, where are you going? And it's kind of like that. Um, it's that knee jerk. It's like, I think that in how parenting happens, there's like fear of someone being taken away from you or, mm-hmm. or just something catastrophic happening. Um, and I think that that definitely was something that I was super aware of just like how precarious life can be. And um, it's kind of interesting because these are like concepts that I'm kind of comfortable with at this point, because it's something that we talk about a lot, but um, 
Yeah. I, I think that definitely like that experience has influenced my politics a lot. And, um, I think that also like for other people, that's why like talking about the things that their family have, have gone through is so important. And, and I just always hope that people, um, like validate that, I don't know, like generational trauma <laughs> happens. And, and that's why definitely, like I, I said this during the prep call, but I think that sharing your story can be a good way um, to get people to see your perspective, but also um, to tell when it's time to leave a conversation when they're not respecting um, your story. Because I think that happens sometimes a lot in, our, in these conversations where it's just Especially like if the story down. is not given space to be told. Because it informs how we empathize. It informs how we have compassion is getting to know people, not just what they think, right? Um, Casey, I'm curious, like, I'm going to direct this at you because I, I, but it can be to both of you, but given that Marley just had, a, had the last question, but you're both very self-reflective, right? Like you have both alluded to this quite a bit. Like I've been thinking about this a lot lately. This has really been on my mind for you. Where does that come from? That's a really good question. I haven't necessarily it's interesting because I think both of us have had so many conversations where we talk about like why we think the way we do and how we grew up, but I don't think we've necessarily talked about why we have those <laughs> that's conversations. Why we're here. <laughs> um, but that's, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think it's definitely something I think because I think it has to do with the space you're in first. Um, I know that I can like talk to Marley about things and that she's not going to judge me for that. And I think that knowing that you're in a safe space to say that, I think that's a huge part of it. And knowing that um, your experiences are going to be validated and exactly what Marley was saying. I think that's one of the most important, but also dangerous things about doing work with conversation is that fear of like, you're going to tell your story and you're trying to tell someone so they can understand and they completely invalidate how you feel. Um, and that's really hard um, and a really big concern. Maybe it's because we're interested in kind of people's stories and like, so wanting to know why people think the way they do and how they act they do, we kind of have that self-reflection as well. Like, okay, well, we want to know why you do what you're doing. Why are we doing what we're doing? So maybe that's a part of it as well. I don't know, Marley, do you have anything? Um, yeah, go Marley. Um, I, I come from a very, like, emotional family where, and I mean that in a great way, um, we've spent a lot of time just, like, sitting around and, like, talking about how we feel and, like, why we feel that way. Um, so I feel like I was almost trained, in a sense, to just kind of, like, reflect on, on what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. Um, but at the same time, like, I think in the past few years – like I, I had an understanding of like the surface level of what I was feeling, but it's like, what has caused me to feel that way? Or what, what about like, um, just how I grew up, um, makes you have certain perspectives. And I think that that's like, just kind of interesting to think about. Um, but yeah, definitely just growing up in a, in a family of talkers. <laughs> and regarding your background, uh, your grandma, um, 
I can't imagine how impactful that must have been. I mean, you brought her up a couple times, but it's like, uh, so as I think through some of the most impactful things in my life, um, like the Holocaust, Holocaust survivors I've met, stories around that going to the, I remember going to the Holocaust Museum for the first time when I was in grade school. Um, like it has been one of the most formative things in my life going to Anne Frank's house. Like, um, and it's really sad to me that like my daughters will likely not like they well, so they'll probably get to meet a Holocaust survivor, but they won't remember it uh, more than likely unless their memory is amazing, which we know that the Campbell family <laughs> memory is amazing. So there's a good chance they'll be like, oh, yeah, I was four. I remember the whole conversation. Yeah, vividly. Ronnie, have um, you ever talked improv before? This is yeah, totally yeah. off topic. Uh, yeah, no, I love improv. I and... can see how you would be. You're really good at, like, bringing yeah. things back together. Um, I am a fan of improv, and I'm trying to embrace yes and in my life mm-hmm. in general. Like, yeah. I think I think that's a, a powerful conversation tool um for building and invalidating what somebody else just said instead yeah. of being like no but <laughs> no but you're dumb and i'm right uh <laughs> uh but yeah no i just i just wanted to call that out because um that's a yeah yeah just it's been like books i've read from holocaust right just like oh man um but then casey something you said so this conversation space like it gets tricky um trying to be so trying to t- share your stories and be validated keith and i literally recorded a video on this yesterday about trying to hold space like for other people and like i'm a 38 year old man that is just now like really understanding this and stroke it's hard like it's very hard because all the reasons that you mentioned so like what like how do you think about how do you think about that concept of holding space and like being able to hold I disagree with you, but I can still validate you and like what you're telling me and what you're saying at the same time. How do you two think about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think, I mean, I think to start off, you both do a really good job of holding that space. So that's something I definitely would applaud (laughs) before. Made us feel very comfortable. Yeah, I'm not going to think you should be answering this question. (laughs) Only $20. (laughs) Um, I think it goes back to like what Marley mentioned first about if it's if it's someone's personal experience I don't think it's ever a yes but I think it's a yes and then I think you then it's a new sentence it's a new topic and then you can express where you're coming from and your personal experiences so I that's very simple way to answer that I guess but I think it's um, especially even that phrasing, if you're saying, if you're talking to someone and Marley's sharing her story and I'm like, yeah, but blah, 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 blah. So maybe just saying, thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate you sharing your story with me. And then like continuing from it's, there. Um, oh, go ahead, Marley. I think for, I think for me, um, it's kind of a lot of like being okay with like silence too. Um, I know that this is something I've personally had to work on because I tend to be like quite a talker. Yeah, it's hard. And <laughs> please don't pause because <laughs> I'm gonna fill it. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, I definitely like I've had to really teach myself to to 
sometimes like just be a little bit more quiet. Um, and I, I think that there's an, an importance in that of like letting someone else go and like giving them the space to share. Um, and I also think that we don't, we always like want to have the right response. Um, and then sometimes we kind of like end up overpowering the other person. Mm. And I think sometimes you can just like, as Casey said, thank them. Um, I know that for me, when someone has an experience and I don't agree with where, how they're extrapolating that experience. Um, I think exactly what Casey said, where like, if someone experienced something, they experienced it. Um, I'm not going to tell them that that is wrong. I think that it's a yes, period, new sentence um, where that did happen. And um, like, I'm sorry about that. I And then you can say like, I see this differently. Um, but, but definitely making sure that we're Cause also like I, there was, we spoke to one woman and she said the people don't really remember what you say, but they remember how, mm-hmm, how you made, you them, made feel. them feel. Yeah. And I think that that is like so important that people aren't going to remember like the details, but if you make them feel really bad, they're going to remember that. So um, definitely something we should try this to avoid. Is, so I'm just having like, I think my brain's catching up to the conversation cause I'm sure this has already been said. Um, actually I know it was already said, but on the facts thing, and I think in this conversation, like now the stories thing, like my personal story or my experience, I think what's happening is like we're not like we're not talking about facts in most conversations. In uh, like ninety nine percent of conversations, even if a fact is mentioned, we're not talking about facts. We're talking about our our interpolation or our experience of said facts. So usually, when we're saying it, like we're using the fact to bolster our story or tell our story and we and we want to be validated in a fact like it may be a scientific hard coded fact but the way it's received is against my story and my perception of the world and that is colored by how i feed my family and my religious beliefs and my dogma and all of the other stuff in the so i so it gets conflated the two things they they so people are saying well that's a fact and that's not a fact but 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 we're not really talking about yeah. we're just using the wrong word right. it's not that facts aren't true it's that we're not talking we're not we're using not the right using word to describe facts. What we're, we're using about. the opposite end of the fact it's it's like statistical averages okay 65 percent of the time this could be true so the 35 percent who have experienced the other end of that that is their fact like it is not likely that this is going to work because the majority of the time it doesn't work from a scientific statistical standpoint but at the end of the day you know nothing is 100 percent you know, I mean, 100% of the time, one plus one is two, but no one's going to argue that. Rodney might, um, because he just wants to. <laughs> but, Quantum. you know, at the at the end of this, so many of these things are, you know, you take, for example, with COVID, the hydro, hydroxychloroquine, the malaria drug. Like, there were testimonial information that some people took it and they got better. There's... There's no fact that supports that it's what made you better based on scientific study. But at the end of the day, that person's factual existence is, I felt better after taking it. So why don't more people take it? And there's a whole litany of reasons why that is not the carry forward strategy. But at the end of the day, to the point of experience, it's like, yes, and 
this is could be the reality for other people who may not share that same experience um but it's uh it is it's one of those things and it, and it ultimately goes back to something casey that you were talking about before is identity and like you're in this this space of understanding identity and what defines identity how do we you know and we think about it in terms of politics the the democratic party does over promote in my opinion identity politics right like if you fit these details you should be a democrat the republicans have overcorrected on their side and now it's like i'm the anti-identity politics because i'm a, a black woman who votes for trump right like is this weird thing what is it that like what is informing where where are you where are you at in that that construct of thinking about your own personal identity i'm fascinated because rodney and i talk about this all the time yeah that was i mean i think that's such an important part of not only what's happening like on a macro scale in our country but also like on an individual level too um i remember one of the first books that i read um when marley and i were talking about project divided was um a book by dr chow called political mm. tribe so good yeah um and this is exactly what she discusses is like how the rise of identity politics has been in the U.S. Um, and it's like, you know, I see both sides of it because on one hand, we in our country, like we have um, discriminated and, you know, suppressed many minorities and different groups because of their identity. So this idea of now we're validating that identity and that experience, I think, is completely um, relevant. And I understand that. Um, and then on the other hand, you have the dangers of that in that we're so focused on these specific identities that we can't necessarily, even in the Democratic Party, come together under that same tent and talk about the things that we actually do have in common, um, connecting to what Marley said at the very beginning, like wanting a stable job, wanting a job with dignity, like taking care of our family, a safe environment, things that we can all at the end of the day agree on, um, or most of us can. And so, you know, I see both sides of it. And then on a personal level, I think it's something that is continuously changing. Like personally, where I am in my life, I am a recent college graduate. Like I, I'm not married. I don't have kids. Like my identity is very focused on like, what, what do I want to do with my life? What career path do I want to take? Like it's very personal, you know, it's very self-focused, but like that I'm sure changes in different parts of your life too so it's it's constantly do you evolving, find yourself because this is one of the the avenues this like we all struggle to find our own identity at different points in our lives right like it's taken me 35 years um and only in the last two have i really started to figure it out um and so x out groups you know i am a man i am a white man could easily like grab me because I can't figure it out myself. Do you find um, yourself pulled to external group um, identification and wanting to identify with them and not, or um, identifying them when gravitating toward it? Like, how does that play out for you? And then I'm curious to get your answer on this too, Marley. Yeah, I think for me personally, like, um, because I'm so passionate about like women's rights in general, I think that is one of the main things that compromises my identity. I mean, 
and Marley has heard the story. I don't even know how many times, so I apologize, Marley. But like in the third grade, we had to write an essay called I Wonder Why. And you could like do anything. Like I remember my friend did. I wonder why we have fingertips or like fingerprints. Like I wonder why the sky is blue. And I wrote, I wonder why there has never oh, been a okay, female president. Yeah. And, it kind of <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of like men. In the US specifically. Yeah. Other countries. Other countries seem to understand that. Yeah. It and it was happen. like men have had all the chances. Women are just as smart. Um, and it was just kind of interesting to read that going back because like, I didn't understand that there was any difference at all. Really. I was like, why? Like, I'm just as smart as that Jimmy over there. Like, um, but I think for me, definitely. Hey, Jimmy, <laughs> shout out, shout out to Jimmy. Jimmy's going to have problems with this. Yeah. yeah. I think that was Jimmy. Like, Shots fired, Jimmy. Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> and a note to the audience there is no um, Jimmy, at least that we know of. <laughs> I actually did it at my mm. I'm sorry, Jimmy. <laughs> um, but yeah, then there's like things that like activities, like I mentioned, I'm a runner, like that definitely um plays a part in like how I view my health and and that's a big aspect of identity, I think, too. Um, and then what I want to do with a career, I think I'm I'm very career driven. So like that definitely plays a role. So I think, um, it is, it is a mix of those internal and external, um, mm. factors. Marley, give yours. And, and I have a question based on what you just said, Casey, but I want to hear what Marley has to say here. Great. Um, I think for me, the thing that I think about is kind of like how intertwined politics is with our identity. Mm. Um, and this is something that Bill Bishop, who wrote The Big Sort, and actually we got to become friends with in Smithville. Um, He coincidentally lived in the area, um, writes about. And basically, um, I think that this isn't necessarily a bad thing in some ways. Um, People, I think especially young people are very, um, a lot of people are very interested in politics and want to take action. I think that's great. Um, I think that what happens, the danger of that though, is that then when someone disagrees with us, it, as we said, it feels like a personal attack. And there are reasons for that. Like statistics have shown that um, just like religion, politics is carried down through family. Um, so you have kind of that, like that part of it as well, where like that's something you've been raised with. That's almost like a set of ideals and values. Um, so I think that like just acknowledging how big of a part uh, politics can be in our identity is important. Um, I think for me, being political has always been a huge part of my identity. Um, I think just like growing up with my my parents. Can I I pause you for a second there? I'm curious to understand what that means Mm -hmm. from your perspective, like being political. What does that mean? I think that means for me being informed, um, trying to like make sure that you know what's happening in the world. And then also like taking action. And I, I don't think that that always has to be in like the typical senses, like we're seeing now where you're necessarily driving like, from the um, north to Delaware to New York to Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something crazy. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I always say like, if everyone did that, our economy would wrecked, like, be wrecked. No one, like <laughs> we don't need to replicate this. Um, but yeah, I think that taking action in like ways that are, are possible for individuals. So like, um, I think that taking the time to inform yourself is part of that. I think that, 
um, seeing what your elected officials think about those things, researching, that is part of that. And the hard thing is that this takes a lot of time. Um, so I think that also like, I never want to um, shame people for like not having the time to do that. It's one time consuming and two can be emotional. Um, but yeah, I think definitely like that was just always kind of um, politics itself was always pretty kind of like ingrained in me from a young age. Um, I think that's an that's a good question, Keith. Because uh, as you answered it, at first I was like, I don't understand why you just interrupted you. And then, and then I was like, oh, because I would say I agree with all those things right. you said, but I would not call myself political. And that, and then I started thinking like, well, in my family, so back to what you were saying, like political is a four letter word, basically. Um, which brings me to my question for Casey. You made the statement, one of the things that compromises my identity. Is that something you've said before or did you just say it for the first time? You said it in regard. I, in, over, I yeah, have. I did a, this has honestly been a question that I've thought about a lot because of like organizations I worked with in college. Like I remember doing a specific workshop where they had you make a pie chart and asked like, what do you, what do you make of your identity? Like what factors come from that? So I have thought about it a lot. I know I just I was just wondering if that was an off the cuff piece of genius or like oh. one that you just live with because I was like damn like what compromises my identity what does it mean to compromise your identity because I like going back to the point of of politics this is often something when we're just talking about general conversation we say maybe they're idioms maybe they're common nomenclature, but we all receive them, say them, think them in a different way. So being political to some is like running for office, right? Like that's being political. For me, it's, I like politics, so I like to be informed about it and I vote, right? Um, and Roddy tells me I'll run for office someday and he'll be my campaign manager. Don't know, but <laughs> um, and, and so from the compromise of identity, that can be very hard for people, right? Like that compromises my, so what is that? When, when you say that, what does that mean? I think it can mean so many different things for so many different people. And I know that kind of sounds like I'm cheating my way out of an answer. Um, I, th I don't really have, I think, you know, it, it definitely takes a lot of self-reflection to figure out what that means um, and kind of, identifying that in that like we've all mentioned like takes years to do sometimes um and going back to something that i mentioned at the very beginning in our pre-call it's just um kind of what marley was saying about being political like what does that mean anymore like how what is the difference and this is something i'm curious to ask both of you as well what is the difference between value signaling especially just like on social media um and is that making a difference or actually uh taking action i'm curious oh, okay just, just to quickly um i've always kind of been of like the idea that um sometimes like the things that you do without people knowing are actually like more important um that yeah than the things that you um like for example i keep bringing up judaism but like uh when you do a mitzvah like something that's a good deed it's actually considered like more of a mitzvah when you don't let anyone know about it um so I've always like actually really 
loved that idea. And I think that sometimes like there is a really good part of like, if you're working in advocacy and you want people, you want to raise awareness, um, telling people about what you're doing can be really important. But then there also kind of like gets to be this showmanship of like, I'm going to one up this, per-, like all of that, where it's all about, you know, just showing that you believe that or almost like um, getting a, a little bit of like wanting more recognition from that. And I think that sometimes what we do behind the scenes and what we do without getting that recognition can be more important. Um, For Keith, you should answer the question first, but I want to say, Casey, the way that I heard what you said, especially after you said, um, the context was you were talking about like you're into women's rights. And then that's one of the things that compromises your identity. And the way I heard it was um, you're willing to, it was, it was, it was almost a, a humility in that you're, you're aware enough to understand the things that you care about, but you also realize, or, and you also realize that those things color the lens with which you see the rest of the world. And you're just, you're willing to be honest about that. And using the word compromise, I think is, um, you know, like it, it, it could be seen as a negative thing, but I think it's just saying like, yeah, like there are things that affect how I see the world and will cause us to come at it differently. And, 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 and I'm okay with that. And, and I'm okay with being honest about that. So I, yeah. I, that's, that's just why I loved it so much. That was a way better way to explain it than I did. So that's you know, exactly what Casey was going to say. That is a team effort right there. I came up with the, the wording. You came yeah. up with the explanation. Yeah, I think it's perfect. One of those things. Dreamwork, if, make the dream work. Uh, you, you love books. So reading the power of now and um, the, the concept mm. of, um, just identity in general um, and how we assign our personal value. Uh, the power of now, I think you'll really like it, Casey. Um, it's very heady, very like it's, it is a, it is a concept of, of the presence and, but yeah, it's heady, it, but, it's it, but it's also, it's, it's like not about being there because then the, the idea of identity becomes about who you are, not, the things that you do. It's like, this is just who you are, not the definitions of external stimulus and all these other things. Right. So, and you say compromise to Rodney's point, it is, there's a negative connotation there versus the, I'm aware of the things I think now, but I'm open to be evaluated on my own time of who I think I am tomorrow based on something that changes the perspective right or introduces it right like whatever it might be so um that's why i asked the question i you know think it's a an interesting and, sentiment because we'll close on a final conversation um a final question as we run up on time here what would you like to leave our listeners with it's i yeah it's it's a hard question um i feel like i would just end with a quote Um, from our friend Charlie Boner. He um, was someone we interviewed. He uh, works for Move Texas in in Texas. And... In Maine. (laughs) It'd be be so much better if he was in, like, Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. Move Texas, Indiana. Um, I don't... I I kind of agree with with you guys in that I I don't see a problem with it necessarily. My, My thing is just I think we should be and this is the quote from Charlie that we should be calling people mm. in rather calling them out. I so, like that. um, I just, yeah, like not necessarily 
you know, if you call someone out, maybe they should be called out. Like, I'm not going to say you shouldn't do that, but like, how can we do it in a way where we're showing empathy and also calling them into the conversation versus just shaming them and then making them go in the complete opposite direction? Yeah. And I, I actually earlier this week had a, a, convert, a situation where um, I saw something that I felt was offensive and I reached out personally to this person and it was a really good conversation. Um, I was like hurt by what was posted, but I felt that it was better to, you know, like contact them personally and, and but share why. Points or like likes I know, I know. Aww, I know it. <laughs> but um, on that for calling out. <laughs> I'll work on that next time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that, I mean, first of all, like it, lots of credit to that person for handling criticism in a way that's like was empathetic and, and good. Um, but I do think that when sometimes we like avoid, or at least this is how I view it. I try to avoid embar- embarrassing that person when I can, because that's just going to cause a reaction where they're trying to save face. And um, if we're going to have a more like meaningful personal conversation um, over text or like face to face, I think that's better. Mm-hmm.